0: Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org.
1: Happy Mandala Day, everyone. First Mandala Day of a new year, 2021. And today we will hear from Tigan Roshi.
0: Good morning. Welcome to this palindromic week where the dates read so nicely, the same from the beginning to the end and from the end to the beginning. One, two, one, two, one. The first mandala day, also a significant day in the world of the United States. And today on the 24th, we celebrated together just now, this wonderful mandala, the interconnectedness of all existence. And what comes to mind right here is I'm sure you listened very carefully to all the names that were chanted. And all of them have one very important thing in common, besides being our Dharma ancestors. And that is that their activity of self has ceased to be. As persons, they are no longer with us yet we are celebrating this mandala together. And today I would just like to speak a little bit about that from the point of view that we do not want to look at this mandala, this web of inter-existence in any static fashion, in any fashion of using it as a scaffold to hold something up that inherently is dynamic. And not static. This week allows me to talk about the Dharma, to return to such an important aspect of the role that somebody following this path and being entrusted with the teachings has. It feels like the last year, at least, if not much longer. We had to preoccupy ourselves with the fires that have to be put out right and left, making sure that we ourselves do not catch on fire. But here we come together in this fashion, in the formal way of Rinzai Zen practice, to attend to more than just the fires that appear to be right and left. So on this first mandala day, I would like to speak a bit about the teaching that I have listened to for the last almost, almost no, It is almost 40 years and it has become for me the way of being. So often as it goes, I forget about that there's something to share that others or that myself in a different form of self might not be yet fully acquainted with. From the very first round of Zazen, everything that I was taught was framed in the activity of Dharma, the activity of Buddha or the activity of karma. And many years I sat on the cushion, listening to taste of an old Japanese man, speaking from a high seat in Japanese, followed by some Westerner translating it into English. Quite an experience. And one of the things that we noticed over time is some of the students sitting through Teisho were quite awake when they heard the Roshi talking Japanese. And as soon as the translator started, Then came again, the Japanese. However, there also was a group of students who just did the opposite. When the Roshi started talking, uh, and when the translator came back suddenly awake again, this is not to pass judgment on anyone. This is just to show that there are many different ways to interact with that presentation, with that manifestation, with that embodiment of the teaching. So as if it weren't enough to do last weekend during uh, the first session of this year, the Martin Luther King Jr. session, on Saturday, it happened to just fortunately, line up in a way that during the lunch break, Shuko san and I were able to attend an online show by Jakusho Kwang Roshi, who was visiting through Zoom with the Rinzaiji community and gave a talk there. It was wonderful. Jakusho Kwang Roshi now is 85 years old. And one of the things that he said that really struck a lot of us was that when his teacher, Suzuki Shonurio, died, he found himself left alone. He felt, what am I to do without my teacher? And of course, many who lost Joshu Roshi, who lost Edo Roshi, who lost other teachers, Genki Roshi, find themselves in that same place. But it takes time, he said. Over time, he realized more and more, it's not what he said. It's not what he said. It's what he did and what they were, their embodiment, their being, the real thing, the actualized activity of dharma, the actualized activity of Buddha, the actualized activity of karma, that became alive within himself. A wonderful teaching a wonderful teaching. The underlying Buddha nature, the underlying birthright of the human being to discover that Buddha nature is wonderfully affirmed by that. He also said, Before the the donkey leaves, when the donkey leaves, the horse has already arrived. That's something you might want to chew on a little bit. When it's time for the donkey to leave, the horse already has arrived. It's wonderful. So this dharma activity, the teachings that I heard for many years, and I sat through many of those teishos not understanding, and it's not about understanding at all. Of course, there is some kind of intellectual framework that one follows, but it's not just a two-dimensional understanding that comes from listening to the words. The Heart Sutra, the Makahanya Haramita Shingyo, speaks about the activity of Dharma in one specific way, by pointing out to us various properties. Know this, know that. Nothing can increase, nothing can decrease. No birth, no death. No end to birth and death. And of course, mumyo, ignorance. Mumyo actually means no light, no end to ignorance, no end to no, no, no light. So that's one way to describe it. But the way that we, in our formal training, connect to it was in the way of the activities. Zero as the place where there's nothing to see and nobody to see anything. Where body and mind has fallen off, the world has disappeared. The great death in itself might sound static. But even in this zero, a very faint breeze blows. And as it was described by my teacher at that time, what happens in that state, in that place, state is a bad word because it comes from static. What happens during that activity is a spontaneous and natural polarization. A polarization In a complete equality of if we say there were men and women, there would be the same number of men and an equal number of women complete equality everybody equipped with the same strength. And polarization happens naturally and how it was described is that these men and women now they participate in a rope uh, tight in a rope pulling contest, the women pull on this side and the men pull on that side and they pull with equal strength really really hard which to the observer nothing would move yet the rope only has a specific strength and by pulling so hard in the middle of the rope smoke comes up and eventually the rope breaks apart this breaking apart if we understand it from the point of view of a two-dimensional world would be two-dimensional, this and that. But the important thing is, let's see, even for an activity that has oppositional phases, oppositional activities, it needs the space in which this activity happens. So with that separation with that separation between those two phases, space and time, and the self which inhabits that space comes into existence. We were taught that we could describe the activity of expansion as the activity of life, the activity of being born and of growing up. When we look at the seed that germinates and starts to grow into a wonderful big plant, that is the embodiment of the activity of expansion. When the winter comes, it freezes, and that wonderfully former big plant that has bloomed, that has borne seeds, perishes, shrivels up, falls down and decomposes. That's the activity of contraction or minus or the female activity. And in this kind of setup, we started to learn about our formal practice. We know we all are at a disadvantage at this moment, not being able to be physically together, But even or the more in this somewhat distant way of practicing, the formality and the filling, the embodiment of those various aspects of that formal practice is equally important as if we were sitting knee to knee next to each other. So how... How would we look at our formal practice from that point of view? We all know Zazen. We all sit down in Zazen and we are taught to look look at our breath, to follow the breath, to be with the breath. Now, of course, of somebody who has grown up in that Dharma activity, it's very, very clear to see, oh, the breath itself is none other than a manifestation of these activities. Activities that appear oppositional in the beginning. There's inhalation. And there's exhalation. And then comes the next inhalation. And in between, yes, there are points where it stops or it seems to stop, but it really doesn't stop because if we are lucky, there yet comes another breath, be it in or be it out. With the in-breath, nature is a little different, you know. When we perish as a body, inevitably, the last thing we'll do will be an exhalation. So nature has its specific way of following this activity as well. During Zazen, we give emphasis to the exhalation. It gets longer and longer. Because during Zazen, we give ourselves to that activity of shrinking, of that space that is inhabited by a self-identifying entity, I am, that is completely let fall away. We could say that is the activity of negating this kind of small self. Less and less, less and less, until it completely disappears. And when you look at people sitting in Zazen, you will see that some, many of them actually frown a little. (laughs) Joshua Rossi had a big frown. It was so manifest that after he died, the morticians tried to stitch it up so it would be at least a straight mouth and not a frown. It was shocking. It was, you looked at the body in the coffin and that was the last point where anyone should have seen, oh, no, that's not him. That is just a castaway body. So this downward, smaller, smaller, smaller activity of letting the self go is in the exhalation in our Zazen. And there's another way to exercise that. And that is equally important. And that is chanting. One of the things of the activities in the Sangha that really benefits immensely by physical presence is chanting together. I know we all sit here in some kind of a cube shape of a room that is adjacent with the cube shapes of other rooms where other human beings live. And there is a certain consideration we have to give to them. But should you not have to give that consideration, please don't be persuaded by the limited volume on whatever device that you play your chanting on. Just chant fully. Give yourself to that exhalation and to your voice and to the expression of this becoming less and less through the chanting. It is a, even here sitting in my own townhouse here, that pressure or that assumption that kind of feeling, yeah, you better behave yourself or you don't get fully into it, creeps in. And there's just one answer to that. No! Don't let that happen. Please chant fully. Chant fully and give yourself to that activity. Besides chanting, of course, Um, and zazen, there are other activities where we move. When we move about the zendo, when we move about the monastery, the temple, or even in a formal setting at home, we as ordained people, we are taught to step forward with our left foot. We initiate with the left side, which is the initiation of that shrinking activity, of the activity that does not unconditionally affirm the existence of this I am self left. When we walk backwards, we step back with the right foot. And also when we walk in the zendo, we don't cross diagonally. That is just affirming, oh, this is about me getting there. But really it is, no. There is no me. We follow this way until we come to the end where there's no more way to go that way. Then we turn into the other direction we have to go and arrive there in a very clear fashion. It might look militaristic or something like that, but it is a commitment to not unconditionally affirm this I am self in the formal context. Another thing that was very, very strict, at least where I was trained, was not to touch one's face. Why? Because when my nose itches in Zazen and I just go, start scratching myself. In the communal context, it does interfere, it makes ripples. But that's really not it, not the main reason. The main reason is that I unconditionally affirmed my nose is itching and I am going to do something about it. Instead, it turns into, ah, itch. I feel that I am self-wanting to move without anything in the way unconditionally affirming having to scratch myself. So those are important things. It's much harder to do that while we are on the screen here. Oh, nobody will see. But that's not what it's about. It's not about others seeing. It's about ourselves becoming very, very clearly acquainted with the functioning of this tendency of unconditional affirmation of an I am self, of this agency of ego. And that we can really, really learn and exercise everywhere. If our meditation is set up in our living room, if it's in the hallway, it doesn't matter. We create this world of practice by the way of how we decide to embody that function of Dharma activity. Now you might say it's not quite uplifting to think about the frowning people sitting in Zazen, negating themselves. But the Dharma activity has the other direction as well. Yes, there is expansion. And the expansion begins when we get up from our cushion and when we interact with this world. And for that, the most important thing to develop is an inner smile an inner smile, an inner openness, a tenderness of the heart that meets that what appeared to be the other, which no longer is another. Not only with compassion, but to truly welcome it. And not in a neutral way, not disconnected, but fully connected in a relationship that is... Initiated unconditionally in a smile. If you feel yourself sitting somewhere depressed because of these types of news, this kind of news, that kind of news, see if you can move those corners of your mouth in your mind just a few smidgens up and how that opens to possibilities that might otherwise not appear. So this is just a brief reminder for myself as well as for everybody. Ideally, this is what Dharma teaching presents. But even Dharma teaching follows the necessities, and the flow of the activity of dharma. When it is necessary to attend to what happens in the world, we attend to what happens in the world. When we have a chance, and it is an absolute luxury, when we have a chance to attend to looking into the nature of this self, we look into it. And that time is most cherished of all. So thank you for being here with us, for allowing us together to look into this activity of self, to acknowledge that mandala of all departed, but at the same time to affirm, to cherish, and to be grateful for the mandala of all the living who in absolute equality appear on this screen here. I wish us all health, the ability to have the time to look into this functioning of the self, to chant Namudai Bosa, the sutras, And then to go out and to chant no justice, no peace, or whatever is necessary to be chanted with the same commitment of full being. Please allow me to express one more one more thought, uh, there are some of us here who tend or who care for those who are sick in our families or who have been ill themselves or are ill themselves. And in that context, I want to, to express one way of thinking of the chanting we do as well. The Bodhisattva Kanon, Kanze on Bosatsu, is the one who listens to those cries of all the beings who are suffering, no matter how big the suffering is. But also, Kanon Bodhisattva is subject, like everything, to the activity of Dharma. It could not be possible for Kanzeon Onbosatsu to absorb all those cries and keep them to herself. When we chant, we dissipate the energy of suffering and enable Kanon Bodhisattva to listen to more and more of those who need to be heard. So it's not about us. It's about making that energy of this activity of Dharma continue to flow and to serve the world in this case, bodhisattvas chant for Kanon and be her voice so she can listen and hear.
1: Thank you, Chigan Roshi, for speaking to this very important. Point. And even as you ended your talk, moving to no justice, no peace, that is no different from When we go out into the community and attend with our presence, however we feel moved, that is uh, Completely one with our practice, when we are thrown by the seeming inequity, uh, polarization, etc., to become a separate self, then whatever we are doing in that no justice, no peace is without the fundamental truth of. So, we really have to be aware of this. Otherwise, our social commitment, our commitment to injustice can be polluted by an ego self. I want to thank all of you. And thank all of the electrons. These electrons are Buddhas, too. On Mandala Day, we can truly feel and be grateful for all the sentient and insentient beings and realize there is no such thing as an insentient thing digital being separate from or outside this mandala. So thank you, Chigan Roshi, and let us now chant, truly chant, the four great vows. This has
0: been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.